Uh, this morning, we get to continue our series, You Complete Me, uh, talking specifically about sexuality and what the Bible has to teach on that. This morning, our topic is sexual purity, which I know is a really great topic that just made you so excited in this morning. Like, you're just giddy, just giddy reading that. Uh, but I-, I want us to dive in this morning because I believe that there is a really large misinformation campaign about sex. And this morning, I want to expose some of the lies that I believe are commonly put out there. So if you'll join with me. Father, make your word alive and real. Not my words, but your words, I pray in Jesus' name. So I want to look at four myths this morning. The first myth is this. The myth that God is against sex. In our contemporary culture, Christianity is generally portrayed as sexually repressive in the extreme. Christians are known for being opposed to gay sex, premarital sex, extramarital sex, and therefore the assumption is that Christians believe that sex is bad in and of itself. But the truth is, if you read the Bible, nothing could be further from the truth. If you have your Bibles, I want you to use them this morning. Genesis chapter 1, it's the very beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28 says this, As God created the heavens and the earth, all it is. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and increase in number. Can I crack the code for you this morning? God is not talking about going around and planting apple trees and rose bushes. Be fruitful and multiply. If if you're not catching on here, that's not what God is saying. But he's talking about having offspring. And do I need to get more specific about how human offspring are made? God created us for sex. He made that. And in Genesis 1.31, a couple verses down, at, at this point he says, God saw all that he made, and he said it was not just good, but it was very good. God created sex and said it was very good. He's not just okay with it. He's more than okay with it. The Bible says further in Genesis chapter 2, 25, It says that the first man and the first woman on earth, Adam and Eve, that they were both naked and were not ashamed. Before the fall, which if your church is new to you, the fall is talking about later in Genesis, we see Adam and Eve make a conscious choice to disobey God and choose something on their own. To not listen to the commands and and the guidelines that he gave for how life was to be lived. And with that, sin entered the world. But before the fall, before sin, sex was part of the created order, and it was very good. And it was engaged in freely, without inhibition of any kind by man or women. The clear endorsement of sex as a gift from God is echoed through both the Old and the New Testament. Now the Bible says that all of creation, including mankind and subsequently sexuality, was affected by the fall or the entrance of sin in our world. God is for sex, but because of sin, God had to help shape parameters around how this good gift would indeed be good. What would have been the default actions, the absolute known, 
now had to be given the guardrails. Kind of like when you have a, a kid, for those of you who are parents, when a kid suddenly comes up with this creative way of disobeying you that you would have never even thought of, and suddenly you have to make a new rule. Like in the parks in the U.S. where it now says, don't take selfies with the bears. Where like, you don't even think you need to put those rules, but suddenly there was a need for guardrails. There was a need for defined parameters. And similar for me, last year, uh, as the church gave me a gracious sabbatical to be away for a few weeks, I, I went for several months and started going to a gym for the first time in my life. As you may tell, it had been many, many years since I had gone to a gym. And with that, I used to be really active in sports, and so I used to regularly engage in the gym. And I'm going to be honest, it had been like at least 15 plus years since I had actually gone to a gym to work out. And it's a little embarrassing, but I couldn't remember how to use some of the machines. And I don't know if you've ever seen, ever experienced that, or if you're a gym person, if you've ever seen that, where you see someone who's using a machine, you're like, they have no idea what they're doing. And I felt super sheepish for the first couple of weeks because every time I kind of waited to see what other people would do on the machine to make sure, okay, yeah, you are supposed to pull it that way. Okay, that's good. All right? We, we see this at the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve, suddenly with sin, says immediately after that, they realized they were naked and they were afraid. That was the result of sin. Innocence and purity was now lost. And in order for health to be restored, God had to put parameters in place. He did that in every area of life. That's why we see the commandments. That's why we see Scripture, why we have it with us, is to help give us the guardrails. This is how you maximize on life. Now, God's parameters were made through uh, clear through Scripture. We see in Ephesians 5.32, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. If you go to a gym and instructions are left out on a machine, whether it's a diagram or written instructions on how to use the machine, that's not an indication of the gym owner doesn't like the machine. Rather, it's an indication that they want you, as the user of the machine, to get the maximum benefit out of it. They want you to know how to actually use it so that it benefits you. God's parameters aren't a sign of his condemnation of sex, but rather are the guidelines and instructions of how this is meant to be in life and the way to maximize its goodness in your life. So let's move on to myth number two. Myth number two is this, that sex is simply physical. Sex is simply physical. This is a cultural lie. Sex is not only physical. See, this, this lie that's thrown out there that we see often in our culture is, hey, it's not a big deal. As long as no one gets pregnant, no one gets hurt. So just move on, no big deal. Here's the reality. If you treat sex as it's only physical... The truth is, is that this will have consequences and will actually hurt you. If you're single this morning, and I'm going to talk a few times about those who are single, because I think sometimes in churches when we talk about the topic of sexuality and sex, we essentially just talk to married couples and it's almost as if singles don't exist. Singles, this is important for you. And you need to understand this about a lot of the married people here this morning. They are dealing with the consequences of what they did when they were younger. And some of them don't even fully understand them themselves. Because there are many here today that look to sex as only physical earlier in their life. And they've had to pay the consequences of that. 
But culturally, we really fight against this. We fight against this as if there's no way that can be true. It's just physical. I want to I throw out a few questions this morning to help us gear our mind to get why it's not. I want you to honestly think about these yourself. Why is it that those who secretly use porn often end up with feelings of shame and seclusion after abuse? Why is it that when people begin having sex, it often changes the nature of their relationship? Why is it that most people's deepest regrets are often sexual? Why is it that culturally we look way different upon a woman who got hit versus a woman who got raped? Because sex is not just physical. Jesus spoke of this himself in Matthew chapter 5, 27 and 28. It says this, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, adultery, having sex outside of marriage. But I tell you that anyone, this is Jesus, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying that if you don't do anything physical, even if you don't do anything physical, you can have sexual sin. Why? Because sex is more than just physical. Now, growing up in Canada, you might think that this is just a religious thing. All religions kind of have this thing about sex. But if you want to look historically, religion has not been for sex remaining within the confines of a committed marriage. In fact, religions historically often incorporated sexual rituals as part of their practices. This would also be indicative of, of the time in the Roman Empire when Jesus was, was walking the earth. The culture of his day was not about sex being committed only in marriage. In fact, he went counterculture by what he shared. See, the Greek philosophy of that day infiltrated the other religions that were around them. The soul was seen as sacred, but the body was seen as nothing. So common practice in temple worship was prostitution. Because after all, sex was just physical. Physical wasn't sacred. In 1 Corinthians, Paul having to write specifically to, had to write specifically to help teach against this philosophy creeping into the church. Because the culture of their day said sex was only physical. It's not a big deal. It's just your body. It's not your soul. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Again, if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. So go a little more than two-thirds, like three-quarters through your Bible, and you'll find the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 18. And Paul said this, Flee sexual immorality. All other sins people commit are outside of their body. But those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. As a church, we've purposely spoken over the almost six years now that I've been here at ECC. We've done several series in regards to sex and sexuality. And some of you may feel like, why are you picking on this one? I noticed that we've talked about it a fair bit. It's because there's such a cultural push. And this is such a big area of confusion because culturally we say so much the opposite of what Scripture does. But if it comes across to you as if sexual sin is, is a bigger sin than everything else, that's not at all the message and not at all true. 
Why do, we, why do we speak about it? Why is it a big deal? It's not because God will not forgive you. Nor is it because it's the worst sin. But rather, it's because of the damage that it causes to you. Those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. This lie that sex is only physical is used to help promote both lifestyle choices and big profit industries in our world. Like the lie that comes with it, that porn isn't a big deal. Yet we see both from those who do uh, scholarly work from a religious standpoint and those who do secular work, we see increasing evidence and research of the negative impacts of porn. Because that lie that it's just physical is not true. Some will even say that porn can be used to enhance your sex life. When I did my master's degree a few years ago in counseling, this was honestly a practice, and maybe some of you have heard of this, that people do with couples when they're struggling in their marriages. They'll tell them to watch porn together because that will help their sex life. It's the most ludicrous advice I've ever heard. Because porn is a cheap imitation that actually ruins sex. Many men have run into dysfunction as well as women because of porn. It messes with their brains, and men in particular oftentimes are not able to be physically intimate anymore with an actual woman because of porn. Last week, we had a, a message by Dr. Simon Shea. If you weren't here, I encourage you, go to our website and listen to it. He gave some great information there. And this is on top of the psychological, spiritual, and social issues that this causes. God made you, and he made you good. But because of sin, he also gave you safeguards for how to keep you in place for the maximum good he has and desires for you. And that portion in, in, in 1 Corinthians, again, if you have your finger still in chapter 6, there were some in the church in Corinth who seemed to argue that it didn't matter that some believers were having sex with prostitutes. Because sex only involved their, pro, their, their bodies. And again, their souls weren't affected. But Paul was horrified by this. He said this, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? He who unites. Gonna, I have a little illustration this morning, but I'm going to need a couple volunteers. And I found that the most effective way is this. Do I have two women this morning who say, my husband is brutishly strong and would be a great helper for you. I just need two men who could be nominated by their wives. Can anybody help me out? There is literally no strong men here this morning. Okay. I'm just going to have to pick on you myself then. Apparently after I did... Oh, perfect. Neil's been nominated. Thank you, Neil Horatio. Do I have anybody else that could help me out here? Brian, your daughter nominated you. Come on up. Okay. I also need... I need one... doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. One person who's, who feels like they can come alongside these two men just to, to help support them. One more person. And I'm going to pick on someone. I don't want to pick Miriam, but I will. Okay, Miriam. All right. So Miriam's going to come up here as well. Thanks, Miriam. All right. If you guys just want to come to the middle here. So I, I've got uh, Leighton Jansen help me build this because, yes, I cannot even glue things together. Okay. I want you guys to each grab a hold of that. Miriam, I'm going to give you this here. So when it talks about unite... What this, what this essentially says, it means to be bonded or to be glued together. So we've got some 
we got some glue between these two pieces of wood. You guys each got a little handle there. What I want you to do is just try and pull it apart. Yeah. This is for all the marbles. It ain't going to happen. This is what's now competition, Miriam. You've also got two pieces of paper there. I've also glued them. This is equal. There's glue on each of them. Seems like very equal competition here. Miriam, on your own, can you separate those two for me, please? She's very careful. Just rip. Yeah, just let her go. <laughs> that's, that's working. That's working. Keep going. Now, as she's doing that, again, this Greek word means to bond like glue. See, we, when we think of it's just sex, they thought of it in this context, going to the temple with temple prostitutes. You were designed... You were designed by God, created and made to become one with another. The problem is, is that this is the way you were designed to be. Unmovable. There is that portion of scripture that we talked about in Ephesians, that they became one flesh. Two became one. That's the idea that that bonding is supposed to have for life. But we often carry this cheap understanding of what sex is to be like. And we have this ripping apart. Whether you are in a relationship for a day, a year, or five years, the reality is, is that sexual intimacy has a bonding with it. Dr. Shea talked about this last week, specifically for women even more than men, of the release of oxytocin, that bonding that comes. As you see, we have two different pieces of paper here. Every time that you are with someone physically, Every time you have that physical, sexual intimacy, yes, you can be pulled apart. But the reality is here, it doesn't come across, it doesn't come apart easy. And the truth is, is that you often feel like you have pieces of yourself that are left behind and pieces of the other person that might come with you. It's not an easy pull apart, but there's been a bonding. Thanks so much. You guys can take a seat. If you want to give them a hand clap for being brave. Thank you. Or their spouses being brave. Or me just picking on Miriam because I just tend to do that. But, but you aren't naturally made to be pulled apart. And when you keep going from partner to partner, you damage, just as Paul talked about, there is damage that comes to yourself. You become numb. This is oftentimes for those who I've, I've walked with through in life, who've had many sexual partners, they talk about that, how there's a numbness even when it comes to being with someone else. You see what we have seen spoken and echoed in Scripture, also being echoed by modern-day research, and that the key lifeblood of good sexual relationships is intimacy. This word intimacy. It is to be known, to be fully known. To know the other and to be known. It's the key to healthy relationships. It's the whole purpose of that bonding. God developed you with that so that it could be used to build intimacy and strength. Going on to verse 19 and 20 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If you are a Christ follower, your body is a house of worship. It is a home for the Holy Spirit. You are not your own, but all of you belongs to God and is bought with a price. 
So what does honoring God with your body look like? Well, that brings us to myth number three this morning. Sexual purity is simply old-fashioned, unrealistic, prudish, and dull. There are many who would say that healthy sexuality and expression can look a variety of ways. And what the church, or what God, or the Bible, or Christians would define as healthy sexuality is just old school, and it's outdated. The word pure or purity often carries with it, in other contexts of life, a a positive sense of wholeness, of it being the best, pure gold, pure spring water. Yet for some reason when it comes to sexuality, this word often carries a negative connotation. Sexual purity for many has simply meant denial or sacrifice. And often the connotations we have of the word purity as it relates to sexuality do not track with the truth that God designed sex for enjoyment. God's rules or parameters are not simply to limit or take away from you. Rather, again, it is for your maximum and ultimate benefit. So God's parameters for sex broadly are this. That sex is for within the confines of a loving, committed relationship where each member aims to please the other. For those who are single, what may seem like a restriction now is not I'm going to say this again, but it is not a loss, but in reality is an investment into the best. Believe me when I say this again, there are people here that can give testament of that. They can get testament of the decisions they made when they were younger. There is a cultural myth out there that those who are single or not married, not tied down, have the best and most active sex lives. Yet according to every research poll I've read, and I've read a lot of them on the issue, This is categorically false by a large margin. Watch any regular show on TV and you will see this cultural myth portrayed. But yet what the research shows is those who are in committed marriage relationships report the highest uh, both in frequency, health, and satisfaction in their sex lives. Even more specifically, evangelical Christians who are in married couples have the highest of even in the married couples categories of satisfaction. But culturally, there is this lie that practice makes perfect, so just get out there. Having sex before marriage is important because you need to see if you have chemistry with that person. Romance in a marriage is fueled by not how many partners you've been with or what tricks or moves you know. It's not a skill you develop, but it is fueled by a sense of exclusivity. See, even though marriage shows a great increase on satisfaction and everything else, stats on cohabitation do not follow in line. Sex satisfaction and frequency and relationship happiness increases within marriage, but not cohabitation. In an article by Walt Larimore, he says that this is one of the most dangerous myths. This is the stat he threw out. If you had eight couples that lived together before they were married, four of them will split up and they will not even get married. From those four, three of them will be divorced. One of eight. Yet culturally believe this lie that we need to live together. You need to have that part of your life together in order to see if it works. Why is it that sex lives seem to be most healthy in a committed marriage relationship? The answer is easy. It's because that's the environment it was created to thrive in. 
When I was a kid, this may shock you, I was not a great cook. Bigger shock, still not overly great. But I was really not a great cook. But I remember when I was three years old, we, uh, my parents were pastors and we didn't have a lot of money living in southern Saskatchewan. And I remember watching a commercial on TV and there was a kid who was making Nestle's Strawberry Quick. Nestle, do you remember that stuff? Just take the milk and add pure sugar complemented by red dye number five. And just mix it on up in there. It looks so good. And I remember thinking at home, okay, I really want Nestle Quick. We couldn't afford to buy Nestle Strawberry Quick. But we did have milk and we had ketchup. <laughs> Not bad. Let's try it out. I like milk. I like ketchup. It looks similar. Let's mix that bad boy up. I was shocked to find out it didn't taste like strawberry. You see, when you're baking, I'm not great, but I've learned something. If you have a recipe and you follow the recipe, chances are that it's going to turn out. I actually really love making apple crisps. It's my favorite thing about the fall is my wife, when we got married, got a big cookbook of all of her friends, gave her like different recipes that, they, that we could have, and I like making apple crisp. And I don't want to break, but it's pretty good. But it's because I actually follow the recipe. It gives me the ingredients of everything it's supposed to do, and it also gives me instructions of how to put it together. Now, in case you don't know, making apple crisp is slightly more difficult than making Nestle strawberry quick. But I had the instructions that were there for me. The Bible gives us the blueprint. It gives us the recipe for healthy sex. And the key, one of the main keys to that is intimacy. We need to know the ingredients and we need to follow the instructions. That's why God gave us his word. Again, intimacy is to know and be fully known. This is what is implied when the Bible talks about two becoming one flesh. It is not just a physical union, but emotional and spiritual. This oneness, this union, this intimacy is the ultimate ingredient that is needed for the most healthy and enjoyable sex. The Bible goes on to teach us as well that part of achieving this oneness is putting the desire of the other person, the other spouse, as priority over yourself. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians that part of becoming one means that you are married. Your, bo your body is no longer yours. If you're married, look to the person beside you and say, you belong to me. Because that's what the Bible says. Your body is no longer your own. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4 says this, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Again, this was completely counter to the culture of Jesus' day. And this was revolutionary. Specifically the fact that a wife had a right to claim her own husband's body. That was completely against the cultural and unprecedented. No one had ever said anything like that. Far from parroting the sexual norms of the culture, Christianity taught that sex within marriage should be free, generous, and reciprocal. This council was at odds with the norms of first century Rome. Young couples nowadays are often told that they should only have sex when both parties desire it. However, the Bible actually teaches that sex should be given in marriage when either party desires it. So we serve each other. 
Good biblical sexuality is not about the pleasure of self, but of the spouse. It is not selfish, but like anything in a Christ follower's life is supposed to be, it is serving. Sex becomes unhealthy and has dire consequences, both physical, emotional, and spiritual, when done outside of its intended context. To say sex is meant to be reserved for marriage is not just a preference or a perspective, because the outcome of not following it is clear and it's predictable. The outcome of not following God's guidelines are predictable. So it's not simply a preference. But it's part of design. It's like using the wrong ingredients and expecting it to turn out. It's like you going home this afternoon and putting ketchup in your milk and expecting it to taste like strawberry Nestle quick. Go ahead and try. Have a bucket beside you. Doesn't matter. It's not the right ingredients. It's not the right instructions. Giving up something now for something better later is not sacrifice. It is investment. Finally, myth number four this morning is sex is core to my identity and me feeling complete. This lie that sex is tied into me in any way having to be complete, I need that. Or the lie that my partner is somehow supposed to complete me. We need to tackle this right now because you are made complete. Whether you are single or you are married, you are complete. Those who are married this morning, Ephesians chapter 5 said this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become what flesh? One flesh. One flesh. But it doesn't say, that's not saying that you weren't one flesh before. It says the two will become one. You were already one. The Bible doesn't say two halves became one flesh. But two became one. If you are looking for someone else to complete you, you are misguided. And your relationship is doomed for destruction because of it. If you are single and feeling incomplete this morning... A marriage or a sexual partner is not the answer to it because no human person can truly complete us. Your identity is not based on the fact you are married nor acting out on sexual desires. Neither sex nor sexuality are core to your identity, but the Bible would argue you can only discover your true identity as well as true freedom and lasting fulfillment as you find your place within God's story. As you open yourselves up to what he would say in relationship or in communion with him. God would say that your identity and completeness as a person only comes through him. He says it clearly in his word. He says who you are. He can tell you how to live in a way that gives you maximum fulfillment in your life. If you aren't happy with who you are, outside of marriage, outside of a sexual relationship, you will never be happy within one. Your identity does not come from someone else. Honoring God's design for sexuality in our lives is part of the pathway to experiencing completeness and wholeness as a person. It enables us to live with a clear sense of identity that helps us live confidently with a sense of peace and freedom. Again, singles, sometimes we talk so much about marriage that it can leave those who are single in a place of feeling like they're second class, like they're, they're having to wait to get to that next level of their spiritual life because I have to wait till I'm married and then I'm going to be more complete. You already are. 
And even if you never marry, because God may be calling some of you to do that, that's a high calling. Your life is more than complete in him. As we go through scripture, we see Jesus never had sex. Nor did the prophet Jeremiah or John the Baptist or Elijah or a litany of other heroes of the faith. The apostle Paul wrote in, in response to a question about marriage in 1 Corinthians and gave a response about his own choice of celibacy, of choosing not to have sex at least for part of his life that we know of. And he wished that all were like himself, but each has their own gift from God. And some of you this morning may have that gift, that you can live your life outside of that. And that's good. Singles, you are just waiting, aren't just waiting to be made whole. You are whole already. And what you need right now is to live fully in Christ. A car battery is meant to, br- to bring good, to help run your vehicle and give it power. But if you're like me and accidentally hook up jumper cables in an incorrect way, it can send a shock through your body that does not bring health. That's its function, but it doesn't mean that it's always going to do that. And sex is meant to bring good to you, but it doesn't mean it will if you do it outside of God's design. Sex is a gift from God and is meant to bring pleasure and good. Yet in the same way, it will bring the ultimate good it was intended to when it's used the right way. God's context is for marriage union, an intimate, committed relationship, body, soul, spirit, oneness between a man and a woman where each gives themselves to the other and values the other over themselves. This is the healthy soul, soil where life thrives. I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me today as we close in prayer. And I want to pray this morning, specifically for some of you today, Maybe it registered because in your own life, whether you are married or not, you recognize that sexuality in your life right now is not what God designed it to be. And I want to pray that word again that was spoken by Dr. Shea last week about shame that may be spoken over you, that may want to pull you in and take you over. I want to pray for freedom in your life and wholeness in your life. So if that's you this morning, I just want you to receive this and agree with this in prayer, if you'll join me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you designed sex for us and made it good. That there's nothing in this life that we need to be fearful of. But you've made it good for us. Perhaps some of us, again this morning, were convicted and reminded that, God, we're not in the right spot of using it. That we've taken that thing that was good, but we haven't followed the instructions and we've made a mess of it. Perhaps it's been earlier in our life and we've never really... We've never sought forgiveness from it. We've never asked for healing from it. Perhaps it's something we're active in. Perhaps it's, it's in the secrecy of our bedroom alone with porn or secret addiction issues that we have. Perhaps, God, it's with even how we, for those who are married this morning, how they've addressed their spouse, how they've treated them, how they've looked at sex, that they've denied in certain ways. They've denied, uh, maybe they've taken on physical intimacy, but they've denied that emotional connection, that spiritual connection. God, they haven't honored the way that you've designed things to be. I pray right now, on our own, we cannot fix that. But Lord, in a moment, supernaturally, you can bring healing to that right now. And I speak that into each life this morning. For each one who just honestly says, that's me, God. I need your help. I need healing. I need forgiveness. I need to feel whole. I feel so, so empty. And that shame aspect, I feel that. I wear that so often. And it affects how I relate to other people. I just pray for breaking over that in Jesus' name. God, and I pray for restoring of life. Because that's what you've designed them to be. 
that the cultural lives, that the lies we've bought into, that have spoken over us, I pray those will be broken. God, and even the lie that we could somehow come to you, we feel so shameful we can't even do that. Today, may we find forgiveness and wholeness in you. Teach us what it is to live this life in you in every aspect, including our sexuality, I pray. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. amen.